Alright y'all, this is your man L. Jamal coming through with another edition of my immigration series. I've been going uh, going through the history of immigration in the state of California and a little bit of uh, background on this, just the state in general as well. Last week I went through uh, the original immigrants, which would be the Spanish Empire. We talked a little bit about uh, the mission system, or well, a lot about the mission system, as well as their first uh, attempts to establish a type of uh, any type of government out here. Uh, we'll be going a little bit further into some Spanish history here. Uh, we'll be going through the land grant system, and then we'll be moving on uh, through the ranchos, talking a little bit about them, and then we'll also move on to Mexican independence because it plays an important uh, role here. Because uh, after Mexico gains independence. It's the lands that were once Spain's becomes Mexico. So that includes California, Oregon, Colorado, all those places that were fought over eventually in the Mexican American War, which we will get to in another episode. But uh, for for today, we'll also be talking about Fort Ross, a Russian settlement uh, in Northern California, as well as Fort Sutter, as well another well-known uh, establishment, uh, non-native uh, establishment established uh, right on the Sacramento and American rivers, out there in what out the out there in what becomes modern-day Sacramento, aka the state capital. Uh, so let's get right into to it like i said uh we'll be talking uh, talking about the land uh, the spanish land grant system uh which eventually became the spanish land grant system uh these were referred to basically as ranchos and in the beginning under spanish rule they were given to prominent men uh ex-soldiers so on and so forth uh who came specific who came uh directly from spain and the land usually consisted of 14 squares or more but they could range up to about 150,000 acres acres so these were these were these would be spread out all throughout the state and they would basically uh encompass the modern county and city lines that you may even see today and we'll get to that in just a second of course these lands would be given out in the San Francisco Bay Area the Sacramento uh, River area as well as the Central Valley and along the Central Coast uh they pretty much raised cattle and sheep uh here uh which basically gave the term to the uh, gave term uh to the rancheros uh, that's basically what they did they collected raw hide at one time uh the hides from the cattle, uh, hides from cattle in California were very prominent, were very, uh, it was a very lucrative business in Northern California. It was one of the first industries out in this area, made uh, made the area, uh, gave it some, its first known prominence. Uh, they also got into things like wine producing, mining, etc. Uh, the Spanish would distribute themselves 30 grants between 1784 and 1821. Now, the first of these grants, like I said, in 1784, uh, ended up being Rancho, Rancho, excuse me, Rancho San Pedro. And this was given out by uh, Pedro, I'm sorry, uh, Governor Pedro Fagues, uh, of course, under the jurisdiction of the Spanish crown. And it was given to Juan Jose Dominguez. Uh, now, San Pedro remained its own town or actual, at, or after becoming a uh, rancho, eventually become its own city, uh, town, and a city uh, before consolidating with uh, LA in 1909. Uh, 
also, and this would be the, the pattern for a lot of different ranchos, and we'll get to some of those, some of the more notable ones in just a second. And I'll tell you what cities uh, they ended up becoming. And a lot of them, to be honest, when I name them off to you, you'll you'll understand, especially for my California residents, especially out here in the Bay Area, a lot of you guys, you'll know a lot of these places off top. So we'll get to that in just a second. Uh, now, under Mexican rule, uh, when they were able to get their independence, which we will talk about in a little while, uh, under Mes under the Mexican government and specifically the colony law, it loosened restriction uh, restrictions on these land grants, and it basically allowed a lot of different people. Uh, still, uh, I would say, still Creoles uh, at this. Well, actually, no. At this point in time, we're talking about mestizos, and not necessarily Indians and blacks, of course, but definitely mestizos, uh, Creoles. We talked about what those were uh, last week, but they were definitely able to maintain land, and you didn't necessarily have to be a person of high stature of course you still had so you still had a caste and a racial system going uh in these areas but there you go but they weren't as uh, i guess in terms of like i said the mestizos and the crayoles these restrictions weren't as heavy against them so more of them were able to attain land is, is what i'm saying here uh now under secular secularization uh between 1918 i'm sorry 1836 uh, 1833 and 1836 and secularization for those of you who do not know is simply the separation of church and state so uh basically after the mexican government took over and established itself established its independence uh, again we'll be going more into that in a little while uh but what they did was they separated the church and the state uh, of course they still would uh, revere catholicism uh but again they just took it away from you i guess you would call it administrative functions uh so they would also divide those uh the basically the, what became uh basically well, after this what they did after this was what became of the uh missions was they basically divided up the land and they would basically uh divide it amongst different land grants and spread it out through there and they would have also tax write-offs and so on and so forth for people who were able to you know gather this land uh basically they had a policy of after they won independence would was to take all the spanish lands not necessarily destroy them per se but take them and give them to you know mexicans at this point this is what they want this after this is after independence uh but also uh one thing that i like i said i want to go to some of these different ranchos right here again some of these would become uh different uh cities that we see today different towns also there would be county uh dividing lines as well because some of these ranchos were just so big and so encompassing they would take up multiple cities and therefore make up the majority of these counties but a few of these like i said you'll know exactly what i'm talking about especially my bay area people for one we got el sobrante we already know what that came to be, that little square out of nowhere, hillbilly town in the hills. We see it nestled out there besides Richmond. You've been through it. It's nothing to write home about. That's why it's called El Sobrante. Next up, we got El Pino. We already know about that. That's where I work at. That's where a lot of my friends live at. And you know where that's like one of those Richmond suburbs. We know about it. Oh, we know y'all know about this one, San Pablo. Oh, we already know about that. That's a city. That's a town out here. Uh, we also got San Antonio. Uh, San Antonio. Now, this one you might not know off the top of your head, 
what it's referring to, but it's so large it encompasses the modern day cities of Berkeley, Alameda, Oakland, and San Leandro. So like I'm saying, these 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 guys, especially under the Mexican government, uh these these land grants were huge. These land grants a lot of, in a lot of cases were unaccounted for. So they basically just went on and went on and went on and you know had no real borders uh to be honest with you and the final one here is topanga malibu sequi now you might know the middle word right there and yes it's in modern day malibu so they were they were spread out they were all over the place and like like again as i was saying um this was an this was all done in order to increase uh people you know increase movement uh up to these uh these areas in northern california because again this territory was so vast not a lot of people were you know really living out here outside of the native population and uh the spanish needed to do this because even at this time they were already competing with uh even american settlers through the trapping through uh through trappers also uh the russians who i'll speak about as uh as well tonight so they were dealing with a couple other different groups uh, again and it's all is based on kind of which uh european power at the time uh basically all had a different uh method in terms of colonization or you know coming to the new world and dealing with the the, the well, what goes on here for example uh with the english uh, their first ever entity their first ever entity here was the virginia company eventually that did become a state but think about it right there virginia company they already came in here with the uh goal to enterprise he was supposed to, yes they wanted to make colonies but at the same time they brought families they brought uh different mixed types of populations in order to build uh prosperous uh Basically, these were economic ventures. Uh, Jonestown, I'm sorry, not Jonestown, but Jamestown, the Roanoke villages and stuff like that. With the British, it was strictly, honestly, financial, as well as moving across the ocean and developing new lands and all that. But really, they wanted to bring a lot of profit. They were about, they were for profit. Uh, with the French, they were trappers. They were fur traders. They did not establish a whole lot of permanent residence. They did not bring a whole lot of families with them. Uh, they were transient. They moved a lot between the Missouri Valley, up between the, the Mississippi, also the Missouri River as well, up into Canada, of course. Uh, even the parts of, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, parts of, you know, what became now Louisiana, but they weren't necessarily, uh, you know, again, they weren't as stable as the British in terms of their settlements. They moved around a lot. They were traders. And this was the same thing also uh, with the Russians. We'll get into them as well. Kind of the same thing. They were transient. They moved around a lot. Uh, but again, it, it, and then, like I said, like, so they moved around a lot. So with that being said, the only real uh, groups to really establish any real type of, uh, you know, foundations or, you know, settlements technically were the british and and the spanish but again their methods of doing so were a lot different uh but again a lot of these areas were vastly underdeveloped nobody was living here so a lot of people were were slowly 
picking up pieces of land out here. So the Spanish felt it was, you know, felt it upon themselves to go out and make certain claims. And they did that with these these land grants. They allowed people to develop their farms. Uh, they also used their power to still develop whatever military power that they did have uh, to establish presidios, which were for the, you know, just for the, basically a fort, uh, just like you would see anywhere else. Military forts uh, established with all, you know, with weapons and guns and also soldiers. So again, uh, with with the land grant system and what was going on, as you can see, there's already kind of not necessarily I wouldn't say a ticking time bomb just yet for any type of conflict but you already see there's already different people here there's already different interactions here of course there's different uh, tribes at least in talk at least amongst the native population who might have different connections with each native uh, with each European power so a lot going on at this moment uh, but we are going to take a quick break because our next when we get into what we're going to get into next is the Mexican independence so and this is important again because like i said before what was what was spain eventually became uh mexico because mexico took over so we're going to talk about uh the impacts from that what led to that actually as well and what what it meant for uh the areas in california and basically kind of the differences between a little bit of the, dif the differences the differences excuse me between the mexican and also the spanish government so i will be right back y'all all right all right, y'all, I am back, and let's talk a little bit about the Mexican, the War for Mexican Independence. Now, this would last for 11 years between 1810 and 1821, and one of the major factors behind this were the Bourbon reforms. Now, at the time, uh, the Mexican local government, uh, being comprised mostly of the Mestizos, really more so in the Creoles, meaning the native-born Spanish men, uh, were beginning to establish a foothold within, like I said, at least the local po uh, politics, and they were they wanted some jurisdiction and some sovereignty, sovereignty really to themselves. However, Spain saw this, and actually at the time they were kind of actually they were involved in another war. Uh, they were involved with a war with France. Uh, for their basically, France was trying to take over Spain at this time too, and also at the time. Uh, the Spa uh the Spanish they kind of gave themselves they didn't do themselves any favor in terms of them in terms of their financial uh capabilities because what they did was they overinflated their silver production and that made silver uh actually lose value uh quite quite quickly uh during the course of their empire so they basically kind of fell off and they really weren't able to find gold or other precious materials at the time to keep them uh on pace so that war uh with uh, France, even though they were able to win that war, uh, that did financially, like I said, it put a real strain on them. Uh, so basically what they did was they decided to uh, go back uh, basically and decentralize all the governments in the in their provinces, which they took uh that and starting off with mexico uh and basically what that means is they set up their new their own basically they set up a new uh administration that was coming directly from spain and no longer included local governors and no longer included the mestizos and no longer included the creoles uh it was all spanish all coming from the crown uh like i said the viceroys would also not vote for local uh for local got local mestizos in the future or creoles like I said in the future now at the, now at the time this was frustrating I would imagine because these these groups were developing uh, they were like I said they were already 
part of the local government. They were already in tune with making laws and, you know, collecting taxes. And for them, this was almost like an overstep from the crown and just say, well, we're taking all, back all your rights. And you'll, you'll have to, own, not only that, but they raised taxes and they also tax people more frequently. Now, there was cases of tax cuts for people or mining developers, agricultural developers, but for the most part, the regular people were taxed heavily. And slavery was a harsh, uh, was a really uh, significant industry, especially for those native populations because remember in a lot of these places they weren't they didn't have africans but those native populations were the slaves so slavery was rampant as well and that became one of the 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 fault the paul the the one of the biggest uh pushes in even the mexican constitution which came to be but we'll get that get to that also in just a second um now uh now, the first action that the, um, we'll, we'll just call them Mexicans now. Now, the, the first action the Mexicans took against the Spanish crown was in 1808 when the city council of Mexico City uh, decided to claim sovereignty because at the time, Charles Ferdinand, uh, Charles IV and Ferdinand VIII, uh, basically the people who were in charge of Mexico and actually with the whole territory being New Spain at the time, they were on the run and they were they were under heavy pressure from the French. So they abdicated, which means they left the city and they left it to be taken by whatever power could could muster or bring in their army and just take over. That's kind of what abdicating means. Uh, it wasn't a good look at the time. Uh, with that being said, the people of Mexico, at least in Mexico City, decided to claim their own sovereignty. Uh, but this would lead to eventual coup and that did not fall through and i believe they continue to be under a quasi french spanish rule for a good minute or throughout the course of this battle here now mexico would officially claim uh well actually the war itself would actually start in 1810 with a call to arms by miguel hidalgo uh now he was a prominent fixture uh, i suggest you look him up he was the pretty much he was given a the, the title of the father almost of yeah basically the, the father of Mexico and the father of this revolution right here uh, he worked at a uh, I believe it was a uh, a Catholic a Catholic college at the time uh, but he was well well liked by the people he was well respected by the people and he was pretty much the call to arms he uh, rang the bells I wanted to say this was a, this was back in uh, September of that year 1810 he was ringing the bells and it was a call to arms and people you know at that point knew what time it was and from then on it was it was the fight for independence uh, now uh, Mexico would officially claim its independence with the Congress of uh, Chilpan I'm oh, sorry Chilpancingo and this was uh this was in the state of Guerrero. Now this was headed by Jose Maria Morello. Now the constitution was also they would also form a constitution as well, and that would be ratified November the sixth. November the sixth, excuse me. Now they would adopt Catholicism as their state government. Uh, eventually they would have their own secularization movement. But as of now, uh, at this as at the signing of their constitution, they have become a um, a Catholic monarch. Uh, and but eventually they would become a republic with a three branch uh, governing system similar to the U.S. They eventually would also ev eradicate slavery and to an extent their class system, although that would not really get right until post uh, Pancho Villa and uh, Emiliano Zapata. But that's 
that's not for today guys uh the fighting itself though uh would, would continue though until 1821 with the signing of the treating of cordova and even after that the spain did not spain did not want to recognize uh mexico as its own uh its own place its own sovereign country until 1836 but at that point they already moved their troops out uh they were already no longer a factor mexico was legal uh, well, i'm sorry mexico was its own entity and the reason why this is important again because all that land that the spain eventually conquered in the new world ceded to mexico at least on that uh the western side western side of the states california oregon uh what became now washington colorado uh arizona new mexico so on and so forth so that would become a part of the fold and when the, subsequently when it becomes california becomes as part of the union that's what happens it becomes a state you know so it it goes from you know spanish land grants mexican land grants and by the way the mexican land grants they passed out at least 270 of those things so you know they you know they established some lands and it kind of made it easy uh when uh the u.s decided to set up its government the, the county lines were already there they just set them up uh basically through the ranch system and also for also for my bay area residents who might not know uh for those of you my my daily commuters who hop on that bart train if you go to el cerrito del norte that is uh that was the last of your remaining uh one of the last of the remaining ranchos in the bay area before that was a bart station uh there was a rancho there that burnt down in the they'll call it a mysterious fire they just burnt it down to make room for Bart, in my opinion. But they burnt it down in the 50s, and it became uh, the site of Del Norte Bar Station. But that was one of the last prominent uh, Mexican ranchos uh, in this area. Uh, so your history is right here next to you. It hasn't really left you. It's all around you. Uh, so I get it when people tell me, well, this was Mexico one time. Yeah, you ain't lying. You're not lying. But they had to share this land and people were here uh, to begin with. Uh, well, not to say well, you had natives here to begin with, but they also had to compete with other settlers at the time. Which brings me to my next topic. I'm going to take a quick break, uh, but we will be talking about Fort Ross, the Russian settlement out there near Bodego Bay. And we'll also be talking about Sutter's Fort and the history and the backstory behind that. All right, y'all. So I will be right back. All right now, y'all, I am back. And like I said before, uh, there was a lot of competition in Spanish. And then subsequently, uh, the Mexicans had to face when colonizing uh uh, California. Uh, I, for one, I talked about uh, Sir Francis Drake last week and what he was able to do eventually finding a lot of the areas of California today uh, will discover, you, being the first European to discover uh, these places, uh, that being the San Francisco Bay and a lot of the areas along the coastline of California, also up on the coastline of Oregon and Washington as well, which was all technically Spanish and Mexican territory. However, one of the biggest rivals uh, that you might not know about were the Russians. Now, the Russians would first come in contact with California in 1803, and uh, these would be done in expeditions with American and Russian fur trappers as long as well as sea captains. And these uh, 
expeditions were headed by Alexander Baranov. Eventually, the Russian-American company would eventually sail from Japan in 1806 to what is now Bodega Bay. Uh, eventually, they would establish Fort Ross, and this would be uh, developed by Ivan Kuzkov. And they basically supplied food and supplies for all the rest of the Russian settlements in Northern California. Uh, they also founded a port uh, where they also built ships and they traded otter fur and they also uh, hunted other marine animals. Uh, by 1830, they also developed three of their own ranchos. Of course, they are in Spanish California. Actually, this is 1830, so Mexican California. So they had to go through the Mexican grant system. Uh, but like I said, they developed three of their own ranchos. This would be Chernick in the town, in the modern town that is Grayton. They also made Rancho Vasili, uh, which is in the modern town of Bodega. And they also made, uh, well, they also erected Krostrominitov, uh, which is on the Russian, well, which was on the Russian River. Uh, along with Russians, uh, they also brought Poles, Ukrainians, Estonians, and also many other members of the Russian Empire, which it was known at the time. So a lot of Slavic peoples from Eastern Europe. Um, the Russians would eventually sell the fort, uh, sell the fort to John Sutter in about 1840. Uh, at this point, a lot of the marine life had died down in the area, uh, so the shipping industry was a little bit down. Uh, also, uh, just in general, like I said, the, the otter population, the fur trading went down as well because the otter population was almost otter population was almost extinct. Uh, so the Russians eventually would move out of the area and go back up to their original uh, settlements in Alaska before they eventually gave that state up as well. Uh, but they moved on from California rather early, and that leads me into the last uh, tidbit. That I want to talk about tonight. Like I said, they would eventually sell Fort Ross to John Sutter, uh, but John Sutter at this point had already established himself uh, with the work he had done in California's Central Valley. Uh, eventually, uh, well, basically John Sutter uh, he will find he will find Sutter's fort in 1836 with a land grant that was given to him by Juan Batista Alvarado, who I believe was the governor of California at the time. Originally, it started at 48,000 acres and eventually it will grow to 150,000 acres. Now this was uh, caught along the area between the American and Sacramento River. Uh, the Sacramento area had already been explored uh, by Gabriel Moraga uh, back I think 18 at this point it would be the 1820s or maybe even the late 1700s uh, for, for that. Uh, but again, uh, like a lot of these areas in California, they remained uninhabited uh and they were very uh they were they were deep in terms of indian presence uh and when it was first salvaged they they faced a lot of that and another thing that uh that i did not mention was because these were really these were these towns ended up being really far away uh from the other presidios and the other pueblos and other cities of the spanish and eventually the, the mexicans would develop uh there were a, a lot of these cities even uh in the texas territory territories were were usually out there in what they were referred to as Indian Territory, and they would be uh, under constant uh, battle, uh, constant bombardment. A lot of these uh, Spanish and Mexican settlements uh, in Texas, they would be under bombardment, constant bombardment by the Comanches, who were one of the most ferocious, uh, ferocious of the Plains Indians and the Indians of the Southwest as well. And in California, they also had a lot of pressure from Native tribes as well. I talked about 
uh, the Kumash last week in my other episode, uh, but definitely in this area as well. There was a lot of conflict with the area with the Indians and what uh, what the span what the Mexicans would do a lot of times with the the land grants they were giving out. They would give them to people in order to establish uh, forts in a lot of cases in order to to fend off the um, the violence that they claimed that they were getting again. They were all on these people's lands to begin with. This was not their land. How would you feel if somebody's just, you know, mining and farming on land that you, you know, were living on for thousands of years? So it's not like the Mexicans were, you know, not to blame here. You know, uh, they were taking these people's lands to begin with. Uh, but John Sutter is an interesting case. He was born in uh, Switzerland, uh, but he became, of course, a Mexican citizen because, like I said, a lot of these establishments, uh, like I said, especially along the Texas, uh, Texas frontier, also in California, and those far off ter and those far off uh, far off territories. Uh, what they, what the Mexicans would do, what they would, a lot of these land grants they would give to foreigners. At this time, they would be quote unquote your American guys or your John Sutters, or in the case of, or they would be Russians. But they would give out uh, these land grants in order to stop incursion uh, by other European groups, and also, like I said, to war off Native American resistance. And uh, this led to a lot of various issues with them because a lot of the a lot of the Anglo's that they would be uh, the white people at the time would be referred to. They would turn uh, if they weren't from Europe, if they if they were Americanized, if they were American whites, they were referred to as Anglo's. The problem with the Anglo's at this time was that they were getting these land grants in Texas and California, uh, but they were actually turning on the Mexican government and basically ceding to the U.S. government. This will become a big problem closer to the war, but we'll get to that soon enough. Uh, but uh, John Sutter's was the, John Sutter's establishment was the first European settlement in the Central Valley, uh, squarely focused on agriculture, of course, because it's by two of the two two main rivers, and also a trade hub too, because it was at the end of two trails, the California Trail and also the Siskiyou Trail as well. So uh, you had a lot of immigrants coming through, uh, people moving across country, people coming, of course, still from other countries. You still have Spanish immigrant or Mexican immigration it will be called now as well coming up from all, all coming from throughout also california again you have some anglo settlers coming in white settlers coming in so you have a mixture here of course you have your native presence there as well now uh for today, I'm going to call it a wrap here. I just wanted to lay the groundwork because the story is going to be picking up soon. Uh, we're going to get into the Mexican-American War. And this is what leads to the eventual establishment of your border. This is what eventually leads to your establishment of California as a state. We'll also be talking about that, uh, the Bear Flag Republic as well, the California Republic, which existed as well. California will wanted to be its own standalone nation at one point too so we're gonna have to get to that too but through the first two episodes i wanted to lay the groundwork i wanted you guys to get an idea about who's the major players in this game and who's gonna be uh at this point making the rules from this point out or who's gonna be really involved in that right now so for tonight i'm gonna call it a wrap uh but if anybody hasn't told you yet peace out one love i love you and uh I'll check in with y'all again. Oh, and uh, Virginia has won uh, the NCAA tournament. I just want to let my basketball fans know I will be covering that soon. All right, y'all. Peace out. Good night, y'all.